absolute worldy listener and welcome to episode three of the isolation season hello mr kyle hi joel i'm here i'm here you're here you wouldn't want to be anywhere else other than talking to me from the distance between our houses how are you i'm okay joel um i'm slowly um succumbing to a life full of daily quizzes yeah Um, let's be honest too many quizzes i never used to think you could have too many quizzes um i'm one of those people that loves the competition of a quiz i'm a bit of a know-it-all um i love to learn but i have to say i've done tonight will be my third quiz in four days jeez uh all different uh rounds what kind of what kind of thing are you quizzing on football quizzes no, no, actually, uh, sort of blissfully sport bereft. Um, we had a wonderful round the other day, which was celebrity dogs. Oh, that's good. I like that. That's something a bit different. Um, and then also the ingredients of a dish, but named out ingredient by ingredient, and you had to say what that dish was. That's one right up your street, Joel. Yeah, I'd have enjoyed that. Uh, do you remember any of the uh, list of ingredients? Oh, let's see if I can make... No, let's just say no. <laughs> that's normally the kind of thing that we would prep before the episode began <laughs> what are you doing joel oh what am i not doing i am the problem with this is is that there's week by week the more the further we get into isolation lockdown let's uh, flatten the curve the the more that question is just going to have the same answer i have i've turns out uh socializing via the internet is quite tiring i think I don't know about how other people are feeling, but I feel quite like, I love it. Don't get me wrong. Love seeing my friends, love chatting. But it, it, I think it's because you can't really just like sit in silence with anyone. Yeah, there is that. And there's also the, that magical thing of talking over each other where everyone stops talking. Yeah. Um, I mean, we do that as we record uh, remote, remotely from each other. I mean, it's, it's very, it's, it's, a tri- it's tricky. It's tricky. We're all trying to be respectful. Uh, and, and what inevitably ends up happening is sort of four or five seconds of silence and then everyone starts talking at the same time. Yeah, uh, but then you've, so some of these quizzes, you've got 16 teams, right? 16 different um, screens on your, on, your, on your screen and people are drinking and people try and get that sort of house party feel of like, well, we're just talking over here about what we're talking. It doesn't work. It does not work. You can't have individual conversations with people. That's impossible. You'd have to open up different apps, mute your microphone in certain ones. I bet there's people who are really good at that. I bet you, listener, uh, are someone who is technologically sound and uh, you're able to, in a Zoom chat, open up another window and have a Skype with someone who's in the same Zoom chat separately from the people who are having the Zoom chat. I'm not, I'm not, that's not really my bag. Is it yours? More for you, listener. More for you. Exactly. Uh, watched anything good? I've, uh, I, uh, I haven't really paid much attention. I've watched, um, what did I watch? I watched, uh, I mean, everyone's talking about Tiger King. Everyone's finished Tiger King. It's nothing really. We've, we've done what? Tiger King. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what is there to say about Tiger King that hasn't already been said? Okay, um, I've got one thing to say about Tiger King. I discussed this with uh, Lindsay, my partner, just the other day. I said, will we really, really remember this era, this time, this l- sort of moment in Earth's history as, oh, we were all under lockdown and there was a show called The Tiger King. I can't believe that we will, but everyone seems to think it's going to be the thing that we remember. I wouldn't be that surprised. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's been other recent eras of human history that are defined by the programme we're all watching. Yeah, of course. Go on. 19, uh, sorry, 2018 World Cup, Love Island. Yep. Is that it? That's the best moment of my life. The best... The best juxtaposition of my life, I would say. Who was in that series of Love Island? Um, Wes, uh, Megan, Doctor, um, Doctor Alex. Who now, listener, if you are uh, if you're on Instagram, which is maybe where you found us, uh, Doctor Alex has got loads more listeners than uh, uh, than we do and followers. He's doing. He's actually a doctor on the front line, um, giving people a sort of daily briefing from of his experiences. It's great. That sounds great. I might check that out myself if I only had Instagram. Um, uh, I, I tell you what I have been doing is I've still been exercising, even though a fox ate my trainers. Uh, and Kyle, I took the plunge. I have ordered trainers online. Oh, when are you expecting them? 
I mean, <laughs> like another two months, but I'm still exercising. I just don't have any good trainers to do it in. I went on a really long walk the other day and I did it in hiking boots and I looked like a weirdo. It's okay, Joe. There was no one there to see you. That is true, except there were way too many people there to see me and it worried me for London's lockdown. Um, tell you who's been exercising uh, when they shouldn't have been, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Oh yeah, tell me about that. I read a bit about Mourinho sort of like giving players little high fives or like arms around the shoulder yeah so he had to apologize well you're not really meant to do this anyway right so if you're exercising listener and i hope you are uh, i hope you're exercising just with the people in your household and not doing what jose Mourinho, the manager of tottenham did uh, and meet up with one of his coaches and footballer tangi and dumbele who uh Mourinho, who is tottenham's record signing last summer who Mourinho has criticized publicly uh for not being up to up to speed with english football uh, but he met up with him to have a training session on a common in Barnet. So just hang on, I thought there were more players there. Was it just him? Was it like a, a sort of a tete-a-tete? So apparently, whilst he was training Tangi Ondombele, whilst him and the coach were training Tangi Ondombele, breaking all lockdown guidelines by all uh, working out as the three people who were not in the same household, apparently Ryan Sessegnon and Davinson Sanchez, another two Tottenham players, were uh, jogging nearby. And they were not, Kyle, keeping two metres distant. I don't know why I'm making light of this, actually. It's, it's, I mean, of all the criticism that people have been aiming at footballers recently, uh, breaking lockdown seems to be the number one thing that I think you could actually uh, criticise them for. Uh, do you want to talk, to talk a little bit about what Kyle Walker's been up to, Manchester City and England right back? Um, I think I would just use the term... Um, what's the word I want to use? Debacle. What's the Italian word that I like? Bunga bunga party? <laughs> No, <laughs> we always discuss how it's pronounced. I'll come back to it. Anyway, we'll cut that. Um, um, anyway, so Kyle Walker, Kyle Walker may have engaged in some shenanigans that should not have been engaged in, and they ended up in the tabloids. And uh, if you're going to breach lockdown, breach it right, I say. <laughs> um, I would say, not wanting to make this purely about Tottenham, um, this is not a Tottenham podcast. It's, I mean, it's uh, barely a football-based football podcast these days. Um, Delhi Alley was his birthday on Easter Sunday. I heartily recommend, listener, you look at his celebratory photos because there's one young footballer who is obeying lockdown rules, even on his birthday. It'll give you a smile. Uh, that's a, a great uh, tip for our listener to look at photos of Delhi Alley. That'll get you through lockdown. Um, well, listener, we hope your, uh, your isolation is more eventful than mine and Kyle's clearly is, um, uh, as it seems just to be quizzes and looking at pictures of footballers online. It's almost like we miss the football. But Kyle, our main segment today uh, is actually football related and it's something we're both really excited about. Yeah, we have uh, been asking you to send in your stories. Uh, listen, we even have a hashtag. Hashtag send us your stories. Um, and some of you have been doing it, as you've been hearing on the last couple of episodes. We've had um, the story of Tom Jessen, the master manipulator in Germany. Um, and we've had a story about a teletext signed footballer. But this time we've been approached by an actual bona fide football journalist, Max Matthews. Uh, really nice guy. He got in contact with us from our email, absoluteworldypodcast at gmail.com, with an incredible tale about an obscure footballer that really spans the whole gamut of emotions tragedy joy ecstasy victory defeat and before we crack on with the story of this this guy we asked max uh, like ourselves what attracts him to bizarre uh, factoids and and stories about footballers and this is what he said <laughs> I, I always like listening to and, and finding kind of slightly lesser, um, maybe not massively, hugely w- widely followed, but maybe a little bit obscure, um, a little bit left field kind of stories. And I like reporting on and finding out more about those stories anyway, and about you know outlets that that publish those stories. Uh, and in terms of obscure stories, before we launch into what you've got for us today, uh, what uh, do you have a particular favourite sort of nugget, weird football fact that uh, you you uh, that you would say is kind of your favourite obscure thing to know about football? So difficult. Oh, <laughs> it's too many to think of. Um, one of my favourite obscure stories, and I was actually um, on on a weird 
uh, twist of fate. I was reading about this yesterday. Um, it was when Harry Redknapp brought the fan in um, in a, in a pre-season friendly and someone uh, the Guardian did a, did a long piece about um, he found this bloke 20, 30 years later and found out how he, uh, he was basically giving the West Ham players abuse because they were getting beaten up by the, by the Oxford team in this pre-season friendly. And Harry Redknapp said, do you play as good as you talk? And, um, you know, they were down to quite a lot of injuries um, and had, a, I think, had a game in, in the next couple of days. And Harry said, well, I don't want to risk any of my players. Let's get this guy on. And um, it turned out the bloke had played amateur football, played up front, was actually not that bad and did score. But unfortunately, it was ruled out for offside. Absolutely shattering his dream. He must have been absolutely crushed when he saw the flag. But um, really interesting tale. I think that is every footballer's uh, football fan's dream, isn't it? Maybe not the sort of like abuse side of it, but yeah, you know, <laughs> talking the manager into giving you a shot from yeah. the terraces. That is like Roy the Rover stuff. It reminds me yeah, of wonderful. A, reminds me of an end of the season game at Spurs when Tim Sherwood was the manager and he uh, a guy had been giving him grief all season and shouting at him and he he famously Sherwood was wearing that gilet and uh, he uh, <laughs> he he pulled the guy out of the stands and uh, let him sit on the bench as yeah, a sort of stuff. manager figure. It's nice though. Matt, can I ask you? You're a Palace fan. Do you get to go a lot? Um, I did before I started working in sports journalism. So I was a season ago for about 15 years. But um, when I started working in that industry, the kind of busiest time is Saturday afternoons. So as much as I can. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen at a game? Tricky one. One sticks in my mind. Um, we were watching Swansea against Palace at Sellers Park. And I don't know if you remember Lee Trundle. Yeah, legend. Yeah, <laughs> technically absolutely fantastic. Um, physically not quite there. A little bit like Andy Reid at Forest as well, if you remember more Lee Tomlin, players like that. But anyway, really gifted player. Um, and he basically... Um, I think he, he'd had a bit of a bad season and he'd gone off the boil and he was out of the Swansea team. And I just remember the one of the funniest fan interactions, fan player interactions I've ever seen is the, a noisy bloke in front of me stood up and um, as Trundle was warming up in front of him on the bench. And he said, Trundle, I used to like you. And Trundle <laughs> kind of waved and put his thumbs up. And then the guy said, but you're something now. And... Uh, and <laughs> And and didn't yeah didn't say something. It was uh, it was quite funny <laughs> seeing, oh, his, seeing his face fall. Oh poor Lee Trundle, listener. Lee Trundle's well worth a Google just because you won't believe he was a footballer. Uh, you've I mean wonderful technical player, but um, interesting build, shall we say, for a professional footballer. Uh, right. Well, uh, Max, uh, you're uh, you got in contact with us with this story, and uh, I think there's no more prevarication necessary. Please. Uh, uh, launch away and tell us uh, your sort of odd tale from, from the footballing world. Well, this is the story of Alexander Durich and most people uh, won't have heard of him, even if they're diehard football fans. Um, I came across interviewing him because I, as a, as a fan of obscure football, I do like a you know, Wikipedia search, a Google search of the old football stories. And I was doing a sports journalism course and they kind of, they told us that when you want to interview someone, just send, just pop them a message online, see what happens. And that hadn't really occurred to me before, to be honest, as silly as it sounds. So I'd, I'd read about this, this, this guy who'd scored almost 400 goals in, in Singapore. And I thought, well, why not send him a message? And I sent him a message on Facebook and on Twitter and after a little bit of uh, a back and forth I, I interviewed him and it turned out that his story was so much more interesting and so much more fascinating that, than, I could, than I could ever have dreamed of. You know, if it was a, a Hollywood film, you would have said, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, it's a Michael Bay story. It's sensationalist. It, it can't be. It can't be true. But it is. This guy was a refugee from the, the, the civil war in Bosnia. He was an Olympian. Um, he hitchhiked across Europe to get to, to get to the Olympics. And then he, he tries to carve out a career in football. He makes his international debut age 37. He plays until age 44. And he scores an absolute hatful of goals, more than Raul, more than Ronaldo, more than Henri, more than Van Nistelrooy. And he, he wasn't even a striker. He was a left back until about two years before he moved to Singapore and became a striker. 
it's it's absolutely unbelievable. So he he scored Portugal's in Singapore specifically. Um, I think his whole well, this is one of the interesting things about him is that the figure of of goals is is almost apocryphal. It's like a myth, but I've seen so many different figures, FIFA and Sokaway and Mondo and Transfer Marked. They all give slightly different figures. What I've gleaned is that across his career was 350 to 400. But honestly, I've seen eight or nine different figures and it could be any one of them. The guy himself in, uh, in a YouTube video said it was 378. But then later the video stated 376. And it, it's, it's honestly, no one really knows. But what we do know is he scored an absolute hatful. So Max, can I just, I want to wheel back. He, he was an, an Olympian not footballer another sport yes it was a different sport he was a canoeist so (laughs) yeah (laughs) not exactly related sports but when he was a kid uh he had um i'm not sure exactly what it is he called it chicken chest i think it might have been ricketts but um basically he had a bit of sorry um, sorry sorry max he called it chicken chest yes yeah yeah that's that's what he called it (laughs) that's excellent who don't really know don't need to know what that is really no 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 exactly but basically he had a bit of a malformed chest as a kid and the the doctor said well you need to take up a sport which will develop your chest a little bit and that was canoeing and he you know he wasn't too keen on it he couldn't swim he didn't know much about it but they gave out free adidas kit at the place and a couple of his friends went and he thought you know what i will go and uh he he found himself in trouble when the coach said, well, you need to jump in and prove you can swim now because he couldn't swim. He, he lived near rivers, but he'd never been taught to swim. And he thought, well, you know what? There's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no time like the present. And he jumped in. He jumped in. He didn't know how to swim. And he jumped into a 10-foot river, a, a literal sink or swim situation. And, <laughs> and somehow he, he, he swam and he got on the team and age, by age 17, he was eighth in the world, ranked eighth in the world. What? This is insane. It, and then You couldn't make it up, honestly. And so uh, he'd had two years away from the sport, but he was invited by the Olympic Committee to, to, to go to Barcelona 92. Uh, the trouble is, is that they were fighting uh, a civil war. So he was of Serbian heritage, but he was uh, living in Bosnia, born in Bosnia, uh, raised in Bosnia. And basically his his father and his brother and a lot of people he knew were fighting against Bosnia, um, kind of representing Serbia, but it was Bosnia who had called him up. So it was a bit of a tricky uh, situation for him. His father, actually, as a result of him choosing to go and represent Bosnia at the, Olymp- at the Olympics, his father didn't speak to him for years and years until a couple of days before his death. Basically, Alex was always, um, he was always a sportsman first and, you know, he'd never been raised to kind of take part in any of that kind of stuff. So he thought, look, I'm, I'm a sportsman. I want to, be, you know, I want to go to the Olympics. The trouble is he was, uh, he was in Hungary and he was basically stateless because of this war. He didn't have a passport. Uh, he had about 300 Deutsche Mark and he had to hitchhike across Europe to, to get to the Barca Olympics. Um, and he, he tells a story. He remembers getting to the Austrian border and, uh, and the bloke said, well, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to the Olympics. And the guy laughed in his face and said, yeah, mate, I'm, I'm going to the skiing tomorrow as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and eventually they, they called the number on this World Olympic Committee letter that he got and, and, and they let him through and he was hitchhiking across. He didn't even have a paddle. Um, he didn't have any kit. He didn't have a, a shirt. Um, he, was, he was just going across Europe. He, he finally got there. He borrowed kit from the, Spanish, uh, from the Spanish team. And he got past the first qualifying round. But I think he went out in the repechage. But given he had about two weeks preparation and most people had four years, it wasn't, wasn't too bad a result. It's amazing that that civil war has been responsible for so many uh, footballers ending up representing uh, different countries and... Uh, not just clearly in the Olympics as well as in football. I mean, you think about Ibrahimovic being Swedish and Begovic being Canadian and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So the, the 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 thing that really struck me there was that the the kind of bizarre way that sport can trump political adversity, um, and also the fact that however we are about to move from canoeing into football, obviously, but however his life goes, the fact that his father finally speaks to him two days before he dies. I mean, that's. Whew. You're right. This is a, this is a, this is a, this is something that someone should make into a film. 
I liked the Michael Bay reference as a, <laughs> as, as a potential director, but you know, I think he's the maker of Transformers, uh, you know, ro- robots turning into vehicles. This is equally as ridiculous at the moment. I can't wait to see where it goes next. So having having come, well, having done, let's say, I agree with you, remarkably well in the, uh, <laughs> the canoeing in the 92 Olympics, uh, how are we going to end up in Singapore scoring an apocryphal number of goals? Well, it's... It's a it's a bit of a long and, and twisty twisty tale. Basically, he he'd done so well at the uh, Olympics. He was one of the first ten Bosnians ever to go to the Olympics. Was it was the first time they'd been uh, at Barcelona '92, and he'd met you know Boris Becker and Carl Lewis and all that. Um, but he'd done so well that he was marked as a like a youth leader or a or a good citizen. So he didn't have um, he didn't have much option but to go to army officer school. Um, and he actually later on credits part of his longevity and his and his enduring strong fitness with going on you know 60 kilometer walks with a 30 kilogram pack and a gun in the Balkans winter without a shirt on but basically it it toughened him up but he he didn't like it he stood up in front of his um, commander and said look this isn't our war we should be protecting people that kind of thing he got thrown in jail his dad bailed him out and his dad said basically look me and 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 your brother are fighting in this war we need someone to carry on the the Durich name the family name so he he crossed the border uh, he crossed the border into into the middle of Europe with you know no state and no money and no language he was i don't know how exactly this happened but he was kind of wandering the streets of hungary selling um foreign currency kind of changing foreign currency and and a friend got him a trial at a third division hungarian side zegat lc and he got his first pro contract there and uh, after after doing well there for about three seasons i mean not a fantastic level of football I imagine in the third division in Hungary, but you can't you can't judge the third division in Hungary. I mean, who knows? <laughs> Could they do it on a rainy night in Stoke? Probably. <laughs> yeah, you'd imagine. You'd imagine. So he he heard about Australia and what they could what they could give their their citizens. So he moved he moved over there. In the meantime, he'd found out his his mum had died in the war on his twenty third birthday, which was pretty pretty dark thing to happen. To, to a young guy, you know, in a, in a, in a foreign country. Um, but after, after all that, he, he went to Australia and um, he had a 10-day trial. And it was a good thing he had a 10-day trial, to be honest, because his first, his first day, which was under Antti Postacoglu, who's, who's I think, the, the former Australian coach, or maybe even the current uh, Socceroos coach. But here, Antti was, was the assistant and, and, and the main coach and, and Antti were so shocked and disappointed at his lack of sharpness that they thought, oh God, you know, I'm not sure what we've, what we've got ourselves here. But thankfully it was a 10 day trial. And at the end of that, he signed for South Melbourne, which is one of the biggest clubs at that time. He, 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 he'd actually started as a young kid as a goalie because he was so tall. He's 6'4". Six, six, but when he played, he was kind of a left back, maybe left midfielder. The South Melbourne team basically were in financial difficulty and they played one final game. He scored an absolute worldie, quite fittingly. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. And um, and and basically, immediately after that game, the team split up. Everyone were kind of their, their contracts were dissolved. So he got a call from from one of his mates, uh, Eddie. I don't know how you pronounce it. K R N C E V I C Sanevich, Eddie Sanevich, um, who is in Singapore. And Eddie was a former Australia uh, international. Eddie called him and said, "Look, my my team in Singapore needs a striker." And I said, well, I'm, I'm a left back. I'm a left midfielder, mate. You know, I can't, I can't help you. And Eddie said, just, just come over. Just come over, Alex. Tr- come and try it. Um, Max, can I ask how old he is at this point? He moved in 1999, I think. So I, I, we can work that out and, and we can add that in. But um, I just want to just peel back to the moment when he scores this absolute worldie from left back or wide left. And then the sort of highlight of his football career and then suddenly the team like only this would happen to this man everything is built up and then it's taken away he's an absolute hero and then the team is dissolved this is classic jurich <laughs> yeah 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 he despite everything every hurdle that's that's put in front of him and uh, i don't know whether he kind of knew about the the state of the team beforehand but uh, if he didn't know it was remarkably lucky in a way that that he that he'd managed to do that in the 
in the last game before they split up and he put himself in the shot window. But if he did know, you know, equally, that's that's unbelievable to to know that your livelihood is about to be, um, the rug's about to be swept out from under you and, and then to pull that out in your in what might be your final game ever, you know, as a footballer, it's, it's remarkable. So having uh, having scored this worldie, suddenly we're we're now in a situation when we're 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 gonna sign for we, we I'm Jewish as well apparently. Uh, we're, gonna, <laughs> we're gonna sign for for the team in Singapore. He's not a striker. Also, I mean how just just just, just pause for a second. This going from Warsaw in Bosnia as a Serb, which is a very difficult position to be in, especially, I mean, it was a bigger, quite a big Serb, Serbian community in Australia because of what happened at the end of the war there. But like, he's, he's done all this on his own. You know, there's something very odd about how solo he's been this entire time as, as someone who's, you know, represented his country or a country of, his, of birth at the Olympics and then become a footballer. He's, he's sort of, is he going to sing, has he got a family at this point or is he just off to Singapore solo? Well, he, he actually talks about being in, um, being in Hungary, being Australia and not knowing what came of his family because mm. he would just read, he, he would get home from training and he would turn on the news and see what had been happening and he'd just cry to himself. But no one could, could possibly relate to him in Hungary and as you know, at, at that time he was he was a young kid. He was early twenties, um, and and he was he was living very in a very in a very solitary way. Um, but later on, we find out that basically the reason he becomes so attached to Singapore is because he finally feels like he's putting down roots, and he finally feeling like he's he's found his home because he's obviously been moving about without a valid passport. You know, technically Yugoslavia didn't exist anymore, so he's stateless. And basically he finds himself and he, and he finds himself as part of Singapore and, and Singapore as part of him, which is really interesting given what he goes on to do there. So earlier on when you were saying he became an international footballer, I was assuming he got maybe like a vanity cap for Serbia or Bosnia, but it sounds like he's going to get caps for Singapore. He does. He does. Okay, football is good, football is fun, football is there for everyone. I can't really be bothered to follow it properly, but I'll tell you one thing, I prefer it to broccoli. Kickball with football, yeah. Before we go on to uh, uh, him, somehow, I'm very excited for that, to be honest, uh, becoming a, an international superstar for Singapore. Um, uh, just quickly, so, so, so he... So he's played the last game. He scored this amazing goal. He's got the opportunity. And he, what, he just ups and leaves? Is that, he doesn't, there's no sort of thought process? How does he end up going to Singapore? He basically just ups and leaves. Um, he, he decides to try his luck. Uh, it was 1999, Tanjong Pagar United. And oh, well, uh, basically... You can tell you've practiced that pronunciation. <laughs> yes, yeah, very, very much. Um, he, uh, he basically tried, tried himself out in this new position of striker. Uh, he scored... 11 and 16 and he did actually go back to a couple of Australian teams after that but basically he'd established himself in Singapore now and then he moved back uh, finally in in 2000 and and then he he basically never left um so uh so how many seasons is he in Singapore I don't even know how the Singapore football calendar works but like uh, how how long is he in Singapore before he's a sort of naturalised citizen with a passport and able to represent them internationally? Well, this this is quite interesting. He was there about seven years, and he as uh, apart from the whole the whole difficulty of the you know the cultural uh, assimilation and, and the adjustment, because he he talks about getting off the plane and being so surprised at how hot it was. It's a completely different style of play, which obviously you don't really you don't really think about as a football fan you know, moving between countries. But obviously the, the, the style of play is completely different. He said there were loads of really quick, really technical players, you know, the kind that you see playing for like Saudi Arabia at the World Cup, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but they, they kind of struggled with the, with the physicality and obviously it was a, it was a bit of a challenging um, climate there as well. And he, as a six foot four, now target man, striker, he, he, he profited from that. Um, basically, he immediately started banging them in in the domestic leagues. He was there 15, 16 seasons in total. But um, for seven years, he was he was trying to become uh, an international for Singapore. He's trying to trying to get citizenship, and he applied, and they rejected him. That he applied, and they rejected him. 
and he says they they never they never told him why he was rejected they just send a letter saying you know thanks for your interest um but your application is rejected feel free to try again and he just kept trying um and the third time he 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 went for it there was a big article in a singaporean newspaper the straits times about him and his wondrous domestic goal scoring records and as if by magic his application was accepted oh interesting after the best season of his life in 2007 he scored 44 goals he won every trophy and and finally it had happened and um it was probably a fair assumption of you to think oh you know he might have had a vanity cap or a maybe a one-off appearance for 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 serbia or bosnia but um you talk about you know cricketers or rugby players maybe changing their nationality and if you're being cynical you'd say well they weren't good enough to play for their uh, country of their birth mm. um, and so they kind of swanned off to England or Ireland or Scotland or wherever and and kind of made a, an international career there this is absolutely not the case with, with Alexander Durich he he embraced Singapore and Singapore embraced him he he talks about having a, a nomadic lifestyle moving from club to club and country to country and and playing for you know 20 clubs and he never he never really got his feet under the table anywhere he wanted to build his family there and it was such a natural fit in terms of how singapore had treated him um that he 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 was so proud to play for singapore and he talks with such passion about pulling on the shirt and it absolutely um it meant so much to him even though he wasn't uh, ethnically of course from singapore he 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 had such a he had such a natural connection to the place which which i find really that's really touching really uh, really, really touching yeah that's just i mean you you're right that's not i think we sort of uh we have a sort of blase attitude to people changing nationality in order to play international sport um that 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 goes into like every single i think there's i think maybe it's something quite british actually i remember when greg rosetsky first started playing tennis for 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 this country and everyone was like oh he's canadian um and you don't really think about the idea that someone could actually feel like they you know feel a genuine connection and love for their kind of adopted country yeah exactly exactly um you know, people talk about the, the the Ashes winning team. They say, oh, well, you know, Trot was South African, Peterson was South African, Strauss was South African. It doesn't matter. You know, Stokes is born in New Zealand, Archer's Barbadian, Owen Morgan's Irish. It doesn't matter. You know, you've got a foreign team. And it's absolutely not that at all. And Morgan uh, spoke really eloquently after the final about how it was almost more British to be diverse and from loads of different backgrounds and countries than if it was you know if it was only people born in yeah sorry do you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um so on on the question of jurich and singapore how many caps does he end up getting uh he gets 53 and he scores 24 oh come on uh, and just for our casual listener just to explain that that at, just just at international level that's not that's that's not uh just a normal goal scorer, right? That's pretty impressive, especially considering I, I, I guess Singapore aren't playing. Uh, Singapore are playing sort of teams that are much bigger and much more uh, pedigree than them, like the Aussies, etc. Yeah, generally they they are playing um, pretty good teams. You know, Japan, Korea, Australia, which which are pretty good. Uh, like you say, it's a really good record. Um, a striker, I would say generally in professional football, has done well if they score at about a rate of one goal in every three or four games. And he's scored just under one in two at international level. And let's not forget, his debut was age 37. And he stopped playing age 42. This is not a guy in the prime of his youth. You know, he's not a spring chicken and he's still banging them in. I, I Goodness knows how many he would have scored if he started age age twenty two. I reckon he might have about a thousand goals by now. Jeez, I mean, also imagine if he if he'd come up now, you know, with the kind of the the fit the physical fitness and clearly the prowess that he had, uh, rather than coming through at a time when his country was at civil war. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so this is right. This is slightly less on football, and you can choose to to circumnavigate it if you want. But when you so you Facebooked him or you, you got in touch on Twitter? Uh, both, I think. Was he just absolutely delighted to be 
to, to hear from you. I mean, it's such a, I, it's, I've never heard of the guy. Um, and not that I, my football knowledge is, is entirely extensive, but it's pretty good. I imagine like journalists don't just approach him out of the blue. Was he really delighted to chat about this stuff? Um, he was, he was very happy to, to talk to me, um, had, you know, no reservations at all. Um, I, I subsequently did my research and I found out that people had, had talked to him, but what, what I found was generally that they had kind of picked up certain threads of his story. Um, and there hadn't necessarily been like a cohesive um, whole narrative of, of his entire life. Um, 442, to be fair, 442, the, the football magazine, did a YouTube video, uh, a 10-minute one about his story. But to, to be honest, I think it's difficult to, to, to uh, simmer down his entire, his entire story to, to 10 minutes. And I don't know how well their videos do generally, but, you know, it didn't exactly go viral. And this is it's a huge story. And I thought, well, it's, it's definitely worth telling. He spoke to me for uh, 40 minutes on the phone. He was, he was really happy to talk to me. Um, I don't think it it probably been the first time he'd been asked, but um, 100% I wanted, to, I wanted to put his story out there. And so uh, he still lives in Singapore, I take it? Yes, he does. Yeah, he's the youth coach. He's the youth coach for Singapore? Uh, not the, not the uh, national team. He's just oh, a right. youth coach. That's fantastic, though. So he lives there. He's got a family there. He's a naturalised citizen. He's got the passport. He's an international hero, I guess. Yes, exactly. And it, it's interesting because he, he basically didn't get citizenship to play international football, which, you know, was the case for, for example, Joffre Archer, with England, he he just wanted to be a citizen. He, he he said he never actually thought about playing for the national team. He was age 37. He thought he'd had one or two seasons left of domestic football at best. Yeah. But the the Singapore coach called him. Um. Uh, he Rodojko Avramovic. He's a Serb as well. And he said, Alex, I I think you can I think you can contribute. And he said it was it was a bigger shock of his life to hear it from him because obviously international football is a different level to domestic football. And he said, well, you know, how will, how will the country feel about a 37-year-old who was born abroad coming into the team and taking the place of maybe uh, someone who was born in Singapore? He didn't, God, he didn't he's, he's quite even, feel comfortable about that. He's even a nice guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, lovely. Yeah, he's a lovely bloke. And eventually the, the, the coach persuaded him. He was, he was named on the bench initially and he was going to win his first cap off the bench. But someone got injured the night before. It was against Tajikistan. He was up the whole night. He was so excited. He couldn't sleep. And <laughs> I feel a little bit sorry for Tajikistan because they, they didn't know what, what hit them. This bloke, 37 years old, all over the pitch, absolutely buzzing. He scored twice. Uh, he hit the post twice. He says he should have had five goals. They won 2-0. And the rest was history. And, and he never looked back. That is honestly... And what year, what year was that when he's making his debut? Uh, 2007. So 15 years after he hitchhiked across Europe to, to canoe in the Olympics, he makes his international debut for a country on the other side of the world, scores two, should have had five, hits the post twice, demolishes a country which you can probably imagine he'd never even heard of before he went to live over there. Yeah, so, probably not. <laughs> I mean, the man, the man, that's just, as a life, it makes you sort of think, to go from what he went from to go from war-torn Bosnia through to being an Olympian, through to being a superstar international striker for, for a country that he was not born in, is just, it's an extraordinary story. It is, it's, it's, it's incredible. And what, what, um, what really came out to me while I was talking to him was that the fact that he didn't consider himself naturally talented as a striker or even as a footballer generally. Um, he says throughout his whole career, he encountered players who are much more naturally gifted than him. He says that the fact he, he learned canoeing from a very young age really helped him because it gave him the, the discipline of, of knowing that he had to work hard. And this is a guy who, who gets up every morning, even now retired as a footballer and runs 15 kilometres a day. There, were no, there was no drinking, there was no smoking, there were no late nights. And he has carved out a, a quite incredible career for himself um now i'm not saying he's not talented of course he is but he he's done it um the the foundation of that is is his hard work and his discipline and his grit and his determination and his drive rather than you know being naturally 
an unbelievable striker. Do you know what I mean? In the way that someone like Lionel Messi, you could say, were, was destined to be to be a world class footballer. Alexander Djuric wasn't destined. He's he's made himself uh, a fantastic international footballer by by the value of of the sweat on his brow. Uh, are we are we then saying that this entire career is down to two things? It's down to an extreme dedication of hard work and hard work, and also. Uh, chicken chest. Yes, yeah. Chicken chest was uh, was was fifty percent of it. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, well, uh, that is honestly uh, one of the most interesting stories uh, about any individual footballer I think I've heard for a very, very, very long time. Um, I'm so glad you got in contact with us. Is there anything else you want to say about Alexander? Uh, a couple of little uh, nuggets. Um, one of his teammates in Australia says if he was dropped from an aeroplane in the middle of Africa, he would still find a way to survive and get work and learn whatever language he needed to know. And um, he... he <laughs> He really liked that assessment. Cool. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the final thing is um, he finished uh, with a farewell match against the Liverpool Masters and, um, you know, Dudek and McManaman and Patrick Berger, Robbie Fowler, Heskey, Michael Thomas, Haman, Ian Rush played against him. And Heskey actually said after the game, are you sure that bloke's 44? And he, he commented how old... Uh, some of the Liverpool players who are 44 looked in comparison to, to Alex and I think that, that says everything. Yeah, about his life and how he managed to get to where he got to. What a legend. Uh, well, exactly. thank, thank you very, very, very much for coming on. Uh, where can our listeners hear you usually? Um, I'm on Love Sport Radio or I'm on Twitter at, at MaxMatthews95. Uh, brilliant stuff. Thank you so much, Max. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, hopefully. Thanks very much for having me. Everyone's talking about the and there we have it. Our interview with Max Matthews about the life and times of Alexander Jurich. Thoughts, Joel? I, I mean, I, I don't actually know which is my favourite bit. Like, from beginning to end. I mean, and it's also, talk about an absolute worldy podcast classic. I mean, we've got Bosnian Civil War, the, the pull and push of being a Serb from Bosnia at that time as, as genocide was taking place. You've got trekking across Europe to be in the Olympics. I think that might be possibly my highlight. But then again, coming full circle to become this international goal scoring sensation for Singapore. I mean, and also, I think, as I mentioned near the end there, uh, chatting with Max, the guy clearly is a lovely bloke. Oh, Jurich or Max? I mean, both, but Jurich, I was specifically <laughs> referencing. <laughs> yeah, and um, I like how you said there at the end when I wasn't there. Listeners, you might have noticed I sort of disappeared at the end of the interview. I'm yeah, do you want to, my, want, to yeah. want to explain want to explain that, Carl? Why I'm, uh, I'm there in my tech with my wife, and she's got a full time job. She's not been furloughed. She needs it. It's her laptop. I've only got an iPad. Doesn't sound as good. We found that out in episode one. <laughs> yes, Carl. So after you, sorry, I, I interrupted you there. After you dropped dropped out of the interview, and I conducted it all on my own. Yes, listener, I'm able to talk to human beings solo that aren't just Carl. Oh, wh- what? <laughs> Um, what was I saying? Oh, one of the things that I loved, I know you said about the Civil War and the Olympics, the fact that he was a canoeist who couldn't swim and still managed to get into the top 10 of the world for his age. What a way to start an athletic life. It just fills me with jealousy, I think. Yeah. I mean, it also, it just I think it's one of those ones that that kind of story that when you hear it, it really speaks to the sort of indomitable, indomitable human spirit. Like every single stage of his life, there was a level of adversity and every single time he seems to have overcome it. And like, uh, it seemed to me, listening to Max speak about him and listening to what Max said about uh, that interview that he had with him, that he's still like a really positive guy. Happy to be playing football and happy to have found uh, a place to live that's accepted him and welcomed him and sort of made him one of their own. But I was thinking as we were, as we were sort of talking to Max about this guy, Singapore, it might be a small footballing nation and maybe a sort of small domestic league in terms of its um, reach. Um, but what a place to live. What a cushy place to end up. It's got like the third highest GDP in the world, I think. Even higher. Second, maybe? Well, if anyone deserved to have a, a successful and, and happy and hopefully wealthy, and hopefully wealthy, weird thing to say, uh, end to his career, I think it was Alexander Jurich. But it does beg the question, Joel, if he can make an international debut at 37, 
Can I? I I'm going to say yes. Who do you think you'll end up playing for? Okay, I'll answer that question and you can answer mine. Um, bit of thinking time for you over this question. What part of your game can you improve on to get that call up and which country are you going to do it for? Me, I'm taking Luxembourg. Excellent. That's my thinking time, is it? Uh, I, I am, uh, well, I've never mentioned this on the podcast before, but when I deign to play football, I don the gloves and I'm a keeper, Kyle. Uh, and I'm, uh, even if I say so myself, a quite adept shot stopper. Um, I think I'm, I'm quite broad, uh, you know, and I think that's what helps really. Um, but uh, my kicking game as a keeper is non-existent. And let's be honest, even if our casual football listener will know that goalies have to be able to kick the ball these days, famously. So uh, uh, that would, uh, the aspect of my game I need to work on. And if you're going for Luxembourg, I feel like the country that I could end up representing at the age of 37 is probably the Faroe Islands. Okay. Why the Faroe Islands? I'll tell you why Luxembourg. I've got an affinity with the place. I don't know if you've been there, listener. Luxembourg is, I think, only second or third to Singapore in terms of its GDP. Very wealthy place. But it's like a sort it's like Edinburgh Castle times about 10. And that's the whole place. Um, I went there for a gig. I went to go and see Bon Iver. It was a Christmas present from myself to my wonderful wife. We, he cancelled the gig. We went anyway. There was nothing to do. I mean, you're leaving out the fact that you and I have both worked in Luxembourg. Oh, at the National Theatre? Yeah, the national, you and I have performed at the National Theatre of Luxembourg. Uh, listener, that's right. That's the level of podcast you're currently listening to. <laughs> level of celebrity. Joel and Kyle have performed. Did you know Joel and Kyle have performed at the National Theatre of Luxembourg? I chose the Faroe Islands because I was going to say San Marino, but I think that's too famous. I was going for s- small, obscure footballing nations that uh, there's the remotest possibility that if I went and lived there, I would have a higher chance per head of population of getting anywhere near the international football team. So Joel, goalkeeper, Faroe Islands, works on his kicking. Kyle, left back, Luxembourg, stays away from the action as much as possible. I've got, I've got three years to make it, Joel. Three years to train to play for Luxembourg. Move out there. It's on. Have you got space in your flat to train right now? Because I don't know where else, how you're going to do football training under lockdown. Oh, Lindsay and I are doing hit training every damn day in our lounge. Oh, I'm just going to get fat, Kyle. I've given up. Um, speaking of being a broad goalkeeper, uh, I have a little Easter egg, which is nice, seeing as we're recording this on Easter Monday. Uh, a little Easter egg at the end of the episode. Uh, another actor. Uh, the actor Adam Byron got in contact. Uh, he's not known for uh, knowing much about football uh, at all, um, but he wanted to share with me and with you and with our listener uh, a little footballing nugget from his past. Uh, so before we do that, uh, I think we should say thanks again to Max Matthews for that extraordinary story of Alexander Jurich. Find Max on uh, Twitter and Instagram at MaxMatthews95, which I think makes him a hell of a lot younger than us. Let's, do not, let's not engage with that thought process. Yeah, if you want to uh, check out any more of Max's work, uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, and listener, if you have any level of football tale, anything at all, it can be obscure, it can be real, it can be false, it can be funny, sad, or just nonsense, Get in touch. Get in touch with us on social media at Worldy Podcast on Twitter or email us absoluteworldypodcast.gmail.com. We want to hear your stories. We want to share them with the world or at least with our listenership. Certainly don't, it don't feel like it has to be, don't be blown away by the amount of trivia about actual football and football facts we had this week. This is a sort of one-off. We've not gone this sort of football leaning for a long time. Um, we go both ways, Joe, as we famously know. Indeed. And on that intriguing and troubling note, we shall leave you with the actor Adam Byron and his footballing nugget. Thanks so much for listening, listener. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye now. Bye. That's right. I don't know nothing about football, but I love my friends. So I'll watch you for them. Kickball with football, yeah. Hey, Joel. Um, got uh, put this in your podcast. When I was a kid, probably about ten, I was a fat knacker, and I used to wear the baggiest clothes I could get, normally with a Looney Tunes character on. My favourite was a triple XL T-shirt with Wile E. Coyote on it that used to come down to my knees, which only made me look larger. Um, not a sporty type, as you know. 
And we used to go over the wreck, the recreational ground, the park, the wreck, and play football. And my older neighbours, who I thought were dead cool, sometimes if they were there playing too, then we would all end up playing together. And I would always be put in goal, as I was the fattest and the least good at running. And uh, <laughs> one day, uh, Dan Brown, his name was, who used to commentate as he played because he thought he was a witty fellow. He went, oh, I can see the blimpsters off his line. I'm going to go for a goal. And the blimpster was what he called me in that instant. And uh, I don't know what off the line meant. I think it meant like I wasn't defending a certain area of the goal. And he took a shot and I screamed, blimpster, really loud and leapt onto the ball with furiosity and saved his goal. And from that moment on, I embraced being the blimpster. And it got to the point where I became so good in goal that the bigger boys would knock on my door and ask my mum and dad if the blimpster was there and can he come and play football and be in goal? Because they enjoyed the challenge. So by embracing their fat shaming, I actually turned it into a weapon to use against them and save many goals and was known as the blimpster throughout those years of my youth. That's the only football-based anecdote I have, other than being completely obsessed with Euro 96 for some reason. When that came out, I got stickers, I got those little bobblehead toys. I've still got Matt Letizia and Alan Shearer somewhere in the loft. Um, but yeah, I don't know why Euro 96 was epic. Then it ended and I couldn't, couldn't care less. I don't dislike football, as you know, just it's not really on my radar. But every now and then, if I'm playing in the garden with the children, the blimpster comes out and he saves every, every goal. So, uh, put that in your show. <laughs> Hope you're well, brother. Stay safe. Don't poke yourself in the eye with a mucky finger. Peace and love. That was the Absolute Worldy Football Podcast by Carl Ross and Joel Samuels with theme music by Adam Janosz-Bazowski and Amachada Patel. Absolute Worldy is dedicated to the memory of Liam Seeker. Please do remember to like, share, subscribe, follow us at Worldy Podcast on Twitter, Absolute Worldy Football Podcast on Instagram, and drop us a line anytime at AbsoluteWorldyPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye. But before we jump into that, we are before we jump into that football tale you're here, we asked him about what he likes and why he likes unusual football. I'm gonna start that bit again. Yeah. Kick ball with foot, football, yeah.